Um, Nick's going to preach now. Um, Nick is one of our leaders. Um, Nick has been involved in international work for uh, many years, uh, and he's led mission groups here, and, um, and he's reminding me right now that he wants someone to read the Bible for him. So, uh, Nick, sit yourself back down for a moment. Uh, Owen, come and join me. Let's welcome up Owen. This reading is from John 14, verses 1 to 14. If you have a Bible, turn to it, or it will come up on the screen behind you. Cool. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father that we will, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe me on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing, and he will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. And I'll do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Great, thanks for that, Ollie. Shall we pray together to start? Oh, Lord Jesus, you are amazing, and just even hearing those words, we we get a sense of just how amazing you are, and I really do pray that as we look more into that passage, that you would fill our hearts with courage, that you would fill our hearts with confidence, and that you would really challenge us to know you on a deeper level, and that's my heart prayer tonight, that each and every one of us would know you more and more and in a deeper way tonight. So, Holy Spirit, please speak to us, we pray. Amen. 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 Well, it's uh, great to be with you guys. Um, For those of you who don't know me, my name's Nick, and I've been in Leeds for about seven years now. Um, And I thought I'd start with a a little bit of an anecdote from this week. And uh, sadly, I was ill. I spent a few days in bed. I was hoping for a bit of an R, but we'll gloss over that. Um, But I was ill. And that meant that I got to read the papers because I was in bed for a couple of days. And that normally doesn't happen. And I got to read the papers. And it was a bit different from the last time I did it, which kind of shows how long it's been, uh, because there was loads of articles and commentaries all about the outrageous promises, often in the political sphere, and lots of commentaries on how they're not quite matching up to reality. Uh, And I start with that simply because uh, this idea of outrageous promises is the theme of tonight's passage. 
Okay, I'm not just saying this to get a bit of sympathy, but rather because Jesus in his in this passage makes some huge promises. And what we're going to do today is kind of have a look and see what the rationale, what reasons we have for why we can trust this. Now, Jesus makes some huge promises. Uh, I, I wonder if you picked them up as we looked uh, through that passage. If you have a Bible, please do keep it open. Uh, he said that he will enable us to do greater things than him and that he will grant us anything we ask in Jesus' name. And before we go any further, I just wanted to pause for a moment and think, wow, those are huge promises that we will do greater things than Jesus that he'll give us anything we act for in his name, that's huge. That's also helpful. I, I don't know about you, but as Christians, we're called to live for Jesus. We're called to follow his call to make disciples of all nations. And I don't know about you, but often I find that a little bit of a daunting task, a little bit difficult, a little bit scary. And what I really need is courage. I need courage to be able to do that, confidence to be able to do that. And if we can trust this promise, this outrageous promise of Jesus, that will enable us to have that courage, to have that confidence. And if you're not a Christian here in the room today, well, as we look at this outrageous promise, well, we start to see the heart of Christianity. As we look at the reason Jesus gives us why we can be confident in this, we start to see more of who Jesus is. And I think as we do we start to kind of get into Christianity 101, the essence of what Christianity is all about, the identity of Jesus. And maybe tonight, maybe tonight, some of the things you'll hear might be a bit shocking, but they might change your idea of who Jesus is and maybe his relevance for your life. So let's start by having a look at this promise. If you've got your Bible, uh, we're looking at verses 12 to 14. Very truly I tell you, Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now, a, a, a few things here about that promise that we need to note. Firstly, it's given to Christians, to people who have put their trust people who are believing in Jesus. Secondly, it talks of us doing greater things than Jesus. And when I first read that, that kind of surprised me because Jesus, well, he does some pretty cool stuff, doesn't he? You know, the miraculous healings, the miracles, his teaching. That's what we share with people, isn't it? Jesus' is teaching. So how can we do greater things? than Jesus. This is the Jesus who brings people into a relationship with God. How can we do greater things than that? Well, I think what the passage is talking about is just that, that it's about bringing people into a relationship with God. And as we uh, look at the rest of the verses before this, we see that that's the gist of what Jesus is talking about, people entering into that friendship with God. And I think the rest of the Bible makes it really clear and gives us the context of what Jesus is saying. Because the rest of the Bible makes it abundantly clear that it's us, Jesus' followers, who are to go and make disciples of all nations, to share about Jesus throughout the world. 
In fact, Jesus, uh, his last words before ascending to heaven in Act 1-8 were to be his witnesses to the end of the year. Jesus, in his earthly ministry, was physically limited to Israel and around kind of the surrounding area. The task of sharing the good news of Jesus with the world, seeing people across the world enter into a relationship with God, that was left to us to Jesus' followers. So the greater work that we're talking about is seeing people across the world enter that relationship with God. So from every country, from every tribe, every tongue, every people group, so from the countries that are always in the news to your favourite holiday destination, to those places that actually you've scarcely ever heard of, in all of those countries, Jesus is promising that we'll do the greater works of seeing people come to know Jesus. Pretty good, eh? And thirdly, do you notice that he says that he will do whatever we ask in his name? Now, before you start thinking, score, that's it, right. Okay, uh, dear dear Jesus, uh, please can I have that Ferrari? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, or you can substitute in your holiday abroad or whatever. Before you do, just hold fire a second. Look again at those verses. You see, both the in my name phrase and also so that the Father may be glorified in the Son, they kind of show it that this is not a carte blanche shopping list. In fact, both of these phrases show us the scope of what Jesus is saying. And the scope of the request is this. Anything that brings glory, that is honour, to God. In other words, anything that shows God to be the good and majestic God that he is, who is worthy of honour. So Jesus is promising that we will see people across the world saved and that he will grant us any prayer that will bring honour to him. Now, what I really like about this, and what gives me courage and confidence, is that Jesus doesn't base this on our ability to be kind of good Christians, or our life circumstances. You see, not surprisingly, before, before John 14 comes John 13, and in John 13, Jesus tells the disciples some things. He tells them that, firstly, he knows they're going to mess up. That even Peter, his best friend, is going to deny knowing Jesus. He knows that their, idea, that their effort to be good Christians is going to go south. And he also knows that they're in for a hard time. You see, also in John 13, he tells them that Jesus is going to be betrayed, that he's going to be betrayed, and by extension, that they're going to be betrayed, and that it's going to be rough for them. So... Jesus knows that the disciples aren't going to be in for the easiest of times. And yet Jesus still gives this promise. This encouragement that we will do greater things than him and that he will grant anything we ask in his name, that's still made in full acknowledgement of the disciples going to mess up and the fact that life is going to be tough for them. And I don't know about you, but I find that fantastic because I know that I mess up all the time, okay? And also, life can be really, really rough. Uh, In fact, the last couple of years have been really, really hard. And I'm pretty sure I'm not alone in that. I'm pretty sure that all of us will go through difficult times in life and that there are times when we mess up. Yet Jesus gives that promise knowing that we will mess up and that life will be difficult. And so, 
the promises hold true, no matter whether we're feeling really on fire for God, really motivated to live for Jesus, and life is going great, or whether life is really just a hard, hard slog. Either way, this promise remains the same. Let me give you one example of this from my life uh, a few years ago. Um, I'd been out to play Warhammer, which is kind of the tabletop strategy game, because I'm a cool kind of guy like that, yeah? And um, don't laugh quite too hard, Rich, but um, I, I, I went, and uh, the guy I was playing, well, he kind of cheated and was pretty unethical. Um, and so I was fuming. He beat me in short order, and um, I, I stormed back to my parents, and I was steaming like proper steaming, how dare this guy cheat me. And as I came through the door, and clearly, like when I've got a huff on, you, you can tell that I'm, a, I, I'm not in the greatest of moods. Um, friends are nodding, that's not good. Um, but, but as I came through the door, at that moment, my parents decided to ask me all about God's grace. Now, my family are not Christian, and um, to be honest, we don't really talk about faith. Yet here I am, coming through the door, and they ask me, oh, Nick, so... This grace thing, what's that all about? And amongst friends, if I'm honest, at that moment, I did not want to talk about Jesus. I just wanted to go to a room and sit and sulk and brood on how I'd been cheated. And so I sent a prayer to Jesus and said, Jesus, help me have the right word to say. And you know what? We had one of the best conversations we've ever had. One of the best conversations where I was able to share about how actually God's grace, it's all about what... God does for us, not what we have done for him. It, it was an incredible conversation. And it wasn't on the basis of uh, how well my life was going, though I appreciate juggling at Warhammer is a first world problem. And it wasn't based on my heart or motivation, but based on the goodness of Jesus' promise. And he enabled me to bring glory to God in that situation. Now, it's fair to say that we live in uh, quite a sceptical society where promises from uh, politicians through to companies for their product, that they're viewed with scepticism, and we always want evidence to prove what they are saying. And quite rightly so. And maybe as I've shared this, you're sitting there feeling a little bit sceptical. Perhaps my story doesn't move you that much. Well, actually, Jesus is a key pains or he's really bothered for us to know and trust that these promises are good and true and there are three things from this passage three reasons in the first 12 verses that Jesus gives of why we should trust this promise three reasons that before he comes to the outrageous promise has given the disciple confidence that when Jesus says this we can trust that it's true and I want to look at each of these in turn, starting with the first reason, verses 1 to 3. Because Jesus' earthly departure is a good thing and shows us that Jesus cares. The first reason why we can trust Jesus' outraged promise is because Jesus cares. You see, Jesus goes to the disciples and he tells them that he's going to go away. And when they start to get a little bit worried by this, he's like, no, 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 this is a good thing. And he explains why. Jesus tells them he's going to his father's house. And this is a phrase which Jesus only ever uses in one other instance, and that to refer to the temple. 
Now, the temple is something that's representative or symbolic of God's presence. So it's a symbol or picture of where God's presence is and people being in God's presence. So when Jesus is talking here about uh, being going to the Father's house, he's talking about going to heaven to be fully in the presence of God the Father. But do you notice he's not just going there to hang out? If look at uh, the verses again with me. Jesus is going there to prepare a place for his followers so that they can be fully in the presence of God the Father. And Jesus reassures them that there's space for all of them, that there are many rooms, or in some translations, mansions, in, uh, in God's house, in God's presence. So this is not a kind of limited ticket type of gig. Jesus is saying that he's preparing a place for all his followers. And the uh, word, the Greek word mane, which is used here uh, for father's house, he kind of got connotations of dwelling or abode. And when we combine that with this housing metaphor, we see a real permanence to what being offered. So Jesus is talking about going to heaven to permanently secure his followers' place with God the Father. And the reassurance here for the disciples and us is that Jesus not being physically present is not a requirement for the promise in verses 12 to 14. And not only that, that actually Jesus' departure shows that he deeply cares for us. He deeply cares for us because he's uh, ensuring that there is a place for us with God the Father. So we can trust Jesus' promise in verses 12 to 14 because it comes from a Jesus who loves and cares for us and shows this by preparing a place for us with God permanently. The second reason why we should uh, have the confidence to uh, kind of trust in this outrageous promise of Jesus, well, if we look at verses 4 to 6, we should have confidence in Jesus' promise because he is the sole way to God. Jesus promises that we'll do greater things than him, seeing people across the world enter into a relationship with God. And we can be confident in this because Jesus makes it abundantly clear that the way to have a relationship with God is through him. Uh, Verse 6, probably one of the most famous verses in the Bible. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, a few things to note here. Firstly, Jesus is saying he is the way, the truth, the life. Not saying a way, a life, but singular. He's adamant here that he is the sole way to a relationship with God. So much so that to emphasize the point, he, he says it again in the second half of the verse. He's adamant in his exclusivity. And it's pretty all-encompassing, isn't it? Uh, the way. Now, directions are important. Um, Does anyone remember the first sat-nav you had? You know, those big clunky things that you stuck to your windscreen? Well, I remember we had one of these to start. There's none of this newfangled stuff on your uh, Google Maps on your phone kind of thing. Um, And and, and the problem with these were that they could break, and mine did. You see, mine broke, and it got to the point where it could only say, turn right and not turn left. And we kind of discovered this uh, on um, a, a day trip with some friends. 
We were all really excited to be meeting up, and uh, we were chatting as we got in the car, and we weren't paying too much attention to what the uh, sat-nav was actually saying. And it was only after the third turn right, when we'd kind of done a whole circle, and as we started to come back to where we started, that we realized, hang on a second, the sat-nav is wrong. You see, directions are important. The right directions are the difference between going somewhere and going nowhere. Same here. Jesus saying he is the sole way to God. Jesus also says he's the truth. And this has kind of got a dual meaning. Firstly, that he's the truth about God. He's the true revelation of who God is. He shows us what God is like. But he's also saying that he's the truth, that he's the true way to God, that he alone is the way to God. And Jesus also says that he's the life. Again, um, another nostalgic moment, but when I was young, uh, Pepsi had this advert of live life to the max. And it kind of was an encouragement to live life, the best possible life you can have. And coincidentally, I'm sure it was just coincidence for them, but happily, Pepsi was a part of that life. So there they are promoting it, and it also involved Pepsi. And it's not that new a concept, because throughout history, people have always wanted to know, how do we have the best possible life? Well, Jesus, Jesus says he's the answer. Jesus here and elsewhere in the Gospel of John, he makes it abundantly clear that he is the way to a perfectly fulfilled life, that he is the way to life in all its fullness. Uh, John 10.10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He is the way to the best possible life. But Jesus is also saying that through him we can have eternal life with God the Father, that he is the way to eternal life. So Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, the way to a relationship with God the Father, so if that's the case, when we share about who Jesus is, then that, that's going to see people saved. That is going to see people enter into a relationship with God. It's only logical, isn't it? And so we can have confidence and courage in the promise that Jesus made that we will do greater things than him because we're sharing about Jesus who is the way to a relationship with God. You know, if you're not a Christian here today, I get all of the claims of exclusivity are a little bit troubling. All this talk of a single way can be a bit uncomfortable. Maybe it's a bit arrogant, a bit intolerant. Well, actually, what I'd like to do is actually kind of pack the book here because it wasn't Christians who said this first, but Jesus. Jesus makes it abundantly clear that he and he alone is the way to a relationship with God. And I guess that claim uh, has huge implications for us. That actually, it's something so important, we can't ignore it, but we need to either accept it or investigate it for ourselves. I guess it's a little bit like if I said, I will pay you a thousand pounds to clean my car. I wonder what you'd do. Well, maybe that's good enough for you. You get the bucket of soapy water and you're ready to go. Or maybe you start asking questions. How dirty is the car? Can he pay me? What the catch? But the one thing you wouldn't do is ignore me because there's just far too much on offer. 
Now, it's a bit like that, but Jesus is offering us a lot more than money. He's offering us a relationship with God the Father. And if that's the case, I suggest that the only options we have are to accept it or to investigate it further. Because there is far, far too much at stake just to ignore it. The third and final reason why we can trust Jesus' outrageous promise, how we can have courage to trust that promise and let it impact our lives, verses 7 to 11, it's because Jesus is fully God. You see, in these verses, Jesus fully emphasizes his oneness with God the Father, and that is him saying and declaring that he is God in human form. Uh, Look with me, uh, verse 7, if you know me, you know the Father. Verse 9, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Verses 10 and 11, repeatedly, I am the Father, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Jesus is making it abundantly clear through his one, through emphasizing the oneness, that he is God in human form. Or as Colossians 1.15 puts it, that the Son, Jesus, is the visible image of the invisible God. What gives Jesus the authority to say that he is the exclusive way to God? What gives Jesus the authority to give us that outrageous promise that we will do greater things and can ask for anything in his name? The fact that he is God. If you want to be confident, if you want to have courage in Jesus' outrageous promise, look no further than his divinity. I get, if you're not a Christian here today, that this claim of Jesus saying that he is God in human form is another outrageous statement. But one of the things I love about Jesus, so much, but one of the things I love about Jesus is that he's always at great pain to reassure us that what he says is true. And we see that here as well. You know, understandably, the disciples, they're kind of a bit confused and reeling at everything that Jesus is saying. And look what he says to them in verse 11. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. So Jesus cites both his words and his works as proof that he is God. Jesus cites his words. And throughout the Bible, Jesus constantly refers to himself as God and claims the authority of God. And his teaching is unlike that of any other person. His words say that Jesus is God. And Jesus cites his works, his his actions as evidence that he is God as well. And we see that from the miraculous healing to the other miracles he does. And later on from when Jesus had this conversation with his disciples, they and, and we now get to see the biggest proof of them at all, of Jesus' resurrection coming back to life. And more than anything, the resurrection shouts out to us that Jesus is God, him coming back to life. And if you're not a Christian here today, um, I'd maybe invite you, maybe even dare you, to look at the resurrection evidence, the evidence for the resurrection. Because it's overwhelming and it points to who Jesus truly is. So we too can have a real confidence that Jesus is God based on what he says and what he does. And again, if you're not a Christian, maybe that's the reassurance you need to put your trust in Jesus. If not, 
again, I just refer you back to that car wash analogy. Actually, it's too big a claim for it just to ignore. Maybe the challenge is to, to look into it for ourselves. Well, I hope that as we look at this passage, we see a lot of evidence which gives us confidence to trust in Jesus' outrageous promise that we can do greater things than him and ask for whatever we like in his name. And I kind of want to finish by thinking about the Christian response of what, how we would respond if we're trusting in this promise, how this promise gives us the courage to step forward. And I think there are two things of what it looked like for us to trust this promise. And it's quite simple. We just do what Jesus says we'll do. Firstly, we'll ask Jesus for anything in his name. We're going to ask Jesus for things that honour him. That means that we are going to be persistent in prayer. We are going to be asking Jesus for things that honour him in every aspect of our lives. In our home lives, in our work lives, amongst our friends, our family, in our church. Uh, we're going to be praying that the decisions our political leaders make are ones that honour and reflect Jesus. We're going to be praying for society that it's going to be changed to be more in line with the kingdom of God. If we've got the confidence in Jesus' promise that he will grant us anything in his name, we are going to be a people who are persistent in prayer. And secondly, we're going to be confident and courageous in taking the good news of Jesus to those around us. We're going to be confident in telling people about Jesus and his saving power. Because Jesus has promised that we're going to do greater things than him. So we are going to be praying for opportunities to share Jesus with people. We're going to be looking for those opportunities. And we are going to boldly and courageously take those opportunities in light of Jesus' promise in the confidence, full confidence, that Jesus has promised that we will do greater things than him. And that means that we're going to be so bold in inviting people. We're going to be bold in inviting people here on, to church on a Sunday. We're going to be bold in inviting people to our mission groups and to Alpha. If we're trusting in these promises, we're going to be bold in our invitations. And we're going to be bold and courageous in taking Jesus to the world around us. We're going to be really committed to seeing the gospel shared across the nation and also supporting those people who do. You know, this promise for greater things, it kind of has a global scale, but it also, I don't want to miss the fact that it impacts every day as well. That it starts right here, right now. Praying and boldly sharing about Jesus with our classmates, our workmates, friends, family, those around us. But I also want us to kind of be mission-minded and prayerfully consider our calling as well. You see, if we're trusting Jesus' promise that we will do greater things, then that means that we have to be prayerfully, missionally-minded about our future and what God might be calling us to. Maybe we need to think about a certain ministry or church plant. Perhaps there's a calling for us to go abroad or maybe to commit to Leeds. Because the amazing truth is that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And we can have confidence in his outrageous promises because of that. Shall we pray together?
Can we stand? Can the band please come back up? Lord Jesus, we praise you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. We worship you that you are God the Son, God in human form. And we thank you so, so much, Jesus, that you care for us and you provide a place for us in God the Father's presence. And I really do pray that in light of this, that each and every one of us will have the courage, will have the confidence to be persistent in prayer, to be boldly sharing. And as we pray and worship and as we fix our eyes upon you right now, I really do pray that you'll be speaking into us where you're calling us to go, where you're convicting us, where you're calling people you're putting on our heart for us to pray for, to share the good news with Jesus. We just act that in light of all of this, that we would hear your voice and your calling for our lives. Amen.